now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. Not only is it the playoff edition, but Rich Hill, correct me if I'm wrong, this is also the 100th podcast you and i've done together oh absolutely true alec congratulations on the milestone it's been a great and fun and wonderful ride uh what we're like two seasons into it i think that yeah. the, the numbers add up that way maybe a little more than two years into it but i feel like we've we've gotten better every week in the true patriot fashion just did some reflection how can we get better each and every week i believe we've done so it's been a great great hundred hundred weeks of doing this with you man no, I agree, buddy. It's funny. You know, I used to do kind of radio commentary when I was in my car by myself. I'd like talk to the <laughs> analysts and I'd, I'd, I'd break down the Patriots in the shower sometimes. I'd talk about my opinions. I didn't really thought I'd parlay into anybody actually listening to what I had to say. And uh, I wouldn't want to do anybody else besides you, buddy. It's been a lot of fun, especially because you and I clearly have no clue what we're talking about based on <laughs> what happened this past season. I'd love to go back to our podcast in like August, September. If we even predicted an AFC championship game, I would almost guarantee you it wasn't Blake Bortles versus Tom Brady, though. Yeah, no, I mean, this was exactly what we expected, right? I thought the Patriots were going to play <laughs> Ben Roethlisberger next week. Um, that, that was what I thought, at least. If, if anyone wants to go back and listen to our pregame show, uh, please don't. Just, 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 <laughs> just don't grade us off of that. I believe... Uh, we, other than the Patriots versus the Titans, we went a combined like 0 for 6 on those games. I was convinced if we just start with the NFC right now, super exciting game between the Vikings and the Saints, uh, less than exciting game between the Eagles and the Falcons. I was convinced that Matt Ryan in Atlanta, they were going to be able to go into Philadelphia, pull it off. They have a great defense. They had the better quarterback, Matt Ryan versus Nick Foles. It was a no brainer. And the Eagles won 15 to 10. The, the, the Eagles somehow are hosting the NFC Championship game against the Minnesota Vikings. Did you catch any of that Eagles-Falcons game, and what went wrong for the Falcons? Yeah, I did catch – I didn't catch the entire thing. That's the only game of the weekend I did not watch in its entirety because probably the game I had the least emotional stake in. But I, I, I don't know. You know, you figure – you look at the Falcons on paper. They're just a better team. Foles is not a clutch playoff quarterback. He's not playoff tested, at least. I'll redact that a little bit. What really confused me, honestly, was just the some of the the play calling was very head scratching to me. Particularly having the ball, I think they're inside the five yard line, first and goal, with less than a minute to go or a little over a minute to go, and they still couldn't punch it in. The last play where they cut off half the field with the rollout, trying to go to Julio Jones, who fell down. I feel like the Falcons were had the opportunity to win this game a couple times, not just to the end, but they shot themselves in the foot. And good teams move on, and bad teams go home, or, or unprepared teams go home, and the Eagles have to win. Yeah, and that was just a clear case of the the Falcons coaching staff just making just a poor choice. You know, who, I think even the Eagles defenders were talking after the game that they were just convinced that there was no way that the Falcons were going to cut off half the field. There's no way they're going to roll out to the, the small side of the field. There's no way. Oh, they did it. They did it. They actually rolled out to the side where there was just so much traffic that no single player could get open, and they put their fullback on the other side. There's just... Just no intelligent coaching decision behind that play call. It, it seems like Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator of the Falcons, was operating a college-style 
play where they typically have a lot more space between the hash marks to operate and that's the name of the game is is the space that they have a lot of and it was just a poor decision falcons didn't deserve to win that one eagles deserve to be able to to go on to next week to face the minnesota vikings and lose because the vikings are just they are the superior team right we saw the the vikings run up a 17-0 lead against the saints let it go through their fingers and then win in the most miraculous way did you catch that that finish? That was just the most ridiculous finish to a game since last year's Super Bowl. I mean, it's I, I watched maybe the first three quarters of the game at one bar. Uh, I thought when, when the Saints were up, I was like, well, that's going to be that. I kind of left and I was walking home and I kind of was, was watching the game on various TVs through the window, other bars, and I ducked into one just like, all right, I'll watch the last play. And boy, am I glad I did because that is just a wild finish to a game i honestly i'm very pleased that digs wherewithal i figure like the first instinct there would be catch it and get out of bounds right away regardless of what happened the big whiff on, on the tackle by that poor rookie safety but nothing but daylight real estate ahead of him and all of a sudden the falcons are going to the nfc championship and it's case keenum versus nick Foles. and i'm with you i think the falcons uh excuse me the, the vikings win this game going away that defense is no joke the offense is efficient case keenum is a solid quarterback he's got a very good grasp of that offense i think he will make far less mistakes than nick Foles will and if i was a betting man which luckily for me i'm not because i'd be broke 20 times over by now based on my instincts i think the minnesota vikings are going to be hosting their own super bowl yeah i mean the, the vikings were great i thought that they were an incredibly complete team for the entire season despite the fact that they've dealt with so many injuries, that they're like the true feel-good story of this season, right? They, they, they have a third-string quarterback that's led them to the conference championship. They have a bunch of late-round picks and cast-offs on offense, you know, Adam Thalen, Stephon Diggs, Latavius Murray, and then they have kind of a no-name defense, right? I, I don't know if it's the product of them not being on the, the East Coast, but other than Harrison Smith, who is an all-pro safety, he's great. They don't really have too many big-name players on their defense. And that's not saying that they're not good players. Xavier Rhodes is an incredible cornerback. Uh, Everson Griffin is a great pass rusher. They have a lot of talent. I just don't think that they get the credit they really deserve. And so this Vikings team is very, very complete. I previously thought that the Saints were the team that the Patriots should be most afraid of facing in the Super Bowl. But that's no longer an issue. We got the, the Vikings and Eagles currently going on the NFC Championship game. I personally think that the Vikings are going to win exactly as you said and host the very first time uh, a home team has held played in the Super Bowl. And uh, yeah, of the, of the four teams left, uh, or I guess the three possible teams that the Patriots could play, I think that the Vikings might have the best chance of taking down the Patriots. You know, it's funny. Again, this is probably the, again, like I said, this is the first complete Vikings game I watched all year. That is a maybe I don't know if people really talk about the home field advantage in Minnesota, but that is a legitimate home field advantage. That crowd is alive. They are into it. There's some really good sound effects. Some guys blowing a horn every two seconds from the announcer booth. It's loud. It's obnoxious. I think that the Vikings, if they are to make it and get past the Eagles this coming Sunday, are going to be at a distinct advantage, not because it's their home turf, because their fans are going to bring it. The whole city is going to be electric. It's going to be a really, really tough environment for whoever comes in there, Patriots or Jaguars. Uh, speaking of Jaguars, Look, Rich, you and I, I think, both had the Pittsburgh Steelers play the Patriots the championship game. I think we were talking about that since the middle of the season. Unfortunately, the Steelers also had that and completely forgot to play the Jaguars, despite the fact they lost to them 30-9 in the regular season. 
while I could make a case, I guess, prior to the game, how the Jaguars can win, it would have been like a 17 to 10 game where they ran the ball a lot, sacked Ben Roethlisberger a lot, kept points off the field, and maybe had like one good drive from Blake Bortles. I never in a million years would have predicted a 45 to 42 score between these two teams. Yeah, and if you go back and listen to our pregame show, I'm pretty sure I actually said that the or the, the Jaguars were going to lose this game 17-10 in a low-scoring affair because there was no way this was going to be a shootout, right? There's just no way. The over-under was 40. Both teams surpassed that. that. It was just an incredible game of you know offensive production. The Jaguars were fortunate enough to force a bunch of turnovers off of the the Steelers. I believe they won the turnover battle 2-0. One of them they returned for a 50-yard touchdown. The other one set them up in the Steelers' red zone, and that was kind of the difference of the game this time and back in Week 5 when the Jaguars won 30-9. Jacksonville just has a penchant for forcing really, really timely and important turnovers. They built up a 28-7 lead. They just controlled the, the game on the ground with Leonard Fournette scoring three rushing touchdowns. Blake Bortles you know what, if, if, if he can win a game throwing 214 yards and one touchdown and they can put up 45 points, that means that everyone else on that team is doing what they need to. But the Jaguars won, sure. They deserve all the credit in the world for that. They No one really believed in them. Everyone, as you said, was already planning for Patriots-Steelers round two in the postseason. But I thought that this game was important for a big reason that isn't really favorable towards Jacksonville, despite the fact that, you know, they get to go to the Final Four, is that they allowed 42 points to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I just don't see them putting up 45 points against the Patriots, because the Patriots have a much better defense than Pittsburgh does. Did you see anything that the Steelers were able to accomplish on offense that should, the Patriots should be able to utilize and kind of incorporate in their game? Yeah, I think it's funny or important to keep in mind that 21 Steelers points basically came on fourth down or kind of miracle bomb passes. There was that fourth and 11 pass to Martavius Bryant toward the end of the half. On fourth and five, he slung one to Antonio Brown in perfect coverage. He's the best receiver in the game, so he came down with it. Then there was that wheel route to uh, Le'Veon Bell was another one. Those were kind of three touchdowns that were just phenomenal individual plays and great throws by Ben Roethlisberger. But independently of those three plays, there really wasn't much the Steelers could do. They only had like one or two really solid, consistent drives down the field. So I don't really want to take anything the Steelers did as any kind of blueprint for how Page are going to put up points because I don't think – Brady's going to go too deep to Brandon Cooks too many times. Brandon Cooks is not even in the same league as Antonio Brown, in my opinion. So a lot of those points just kind of came on, I don't want to say Hail Marys, but they were kind of desperation heaves. And so the Jacksonville Jaguars have a very solid blueprint, I think, for taking on the Patriots in that they have that tried and true method. They have a very solid defensive line, Calais Campbell, Marcel Darius, and Malik Jackson in the middle that can get pressure up the middle. They can get pressure with three. They can drop seven. They can drop eight. They can press man at the line and disrupt the timing of the roots. They can go one-on-one against guys. And if they're going to do it, they're going to do it on defense. I do not expect a 42-45 a to 45 game on Sunday. No, I do not. Oh, well, I think that the Patriots Patriots are fortunate enough because the Jaguars, as I said, they run a Seattle Seahawks style of defense. And so I do think that there are some takeaways that the Patriots can kind of utilize and incorporate is that Steelers tight end Vance McDonald had 10 catches for 112 yards. 
I don't know where you would rank Vance McDonald in the the top tight ends in the NFL category, but he would not be inside my top 10. And so I could just imagine Rob Gronkowski getting those 10 catches, how much he'd be able to produce with those opportunities. And then you throw in Le'Veon Bell getting nine catches for 88 yards. I think that this is the same offensive game plan that the Patriots should have against the Jaguars that they've used against, you know, the Jaguars in the past, that they use against the Seahawks, and they've used against the Falcons. And you ask a lot of your tight ends up the seam against the cover one. And you also use a lot of your slot receivers. So Danny Amendola, who, you know, hint, hint, is coming off his his best game of the season against the Tennessee Titans. And then you have Deion Lewis and Rex Burkhead is expected to be back. So those are the four guys that I would expect to carry the offense again. I wouldn't be surprised if Brandon Cooks for the second straight week was utilized more as a decoy to draw the safety away from Gronkowski in the middle of the field. And that should give him a lot of room to run. So this Jaguars team, they are vulnerable. They, They allowed a lot of points to both the Steelers and the San Francisco 49ers, which are led by, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, who runs a similar game to what the Patriots do. So uh, I I think that there is something that the Patriots can take away. They are going to kind of capitalize a little bit on on what the Steelers were able to do. But yeah, exactly what you said. They had to, the Steelers needed three prayer plays in order to put up 42 points. Those catches by Antonio Brown in the end zone were just absolutely ridiculous. You can't expect Tom Brady and Brandon Cooks to have that type of a connection either. But you know what? Maybe that's Rob Gronkowski instead of Antonio Brown. Maybe Tom Brady's going to be throwing up these prayers to to Rob Gronkowski against Barry Church. And that's something that Gronkowski should be able to win. So there there is an opportunity here for New England. Maybe they won't put up 42 points, but I think that they'll be comfortable enough to put up enough points to win against Jacksonville. I'm sorry, Rich. I'm just still trying to process the fact that we're sitting here on January 16th, the morning of January 16th, breaking down the AFC championship between the Patriots and the Jaguars, led by Blake Bortles, who just put up 45 on the road against Ben Roethlisberger. I just can't quite wrap my mind around that. Oh, that's totally fair. That's fair, too. And I mean, Leonard Fournette. 109 rushing yards and three touchdowns. He he was the engine for that team. You add in TJ Yeldon, 20 yards and a touchdown. Even Blake Bortles had 35 yards on the ground. This is a very, very potent rushing game from the Jacksonville Jaguars. But you look at that uh, the, the passing game, TJ Yeldon, their running back, was their leading receiver with 57 yards. Their number two leading receiver was Keelan Cole, who's like an undrafted free agent, had one catch for 45. No one else cracked 30 yards on the day. So... The way I view this, and maybe this is a good segue to talk about how the Patriots handled the Tennessee Titans, is that the Patriots are going to play the Jaguars pretty much the exact same way that they did the Titans. That if you can take away Fournette, if you can slow down that rushing attack of the Jaguars, at least for the first quarter, maybe the first half, and allow the offense to put up enough points to to get a two-score lead, then I don't see this Jaguars team being capable of mounting a comeback. Yeah, that's a good segue because I think of all the wild cards for me, the divisional round games we saw this past weekend, only one was without drama and only one went the way everyone expected it to. It was Patriots-Titans. No one's really talking about that game this week and understandably so given what happened elsewhere in the league. 35-14, to the game was basically over once the Patriots were up 21-7. to Tennessee had one good drive, that 95-yarder, that was actually a beautiful, very well-executed drive. Let's talk about Mark Mariota getting hurt, training his squad. It took away the run-pass option, whatever it is. 
Patriots dominated this game because they had a good defensive game plan. Derrick Henry went absolutely nowhere, which is a really hard thing to say if you are a defensive coordinator or a defense. And they were just outclassed. And the Patriots did what they had to do. And I'm actually really happy to be able to sit there and relax through an AFC Divisional game. Because every time this weekend comes around, I kind of wake up thinking about that Patriots-Ravens game and how I felt that entire time. It was nice to be able to kind of relax and know by halftime this one was over. Yeah, I mean, the, the Patriots, as you said, they erased Derrick Henry from that game. In the first half, Henry had 11 carries for, for 24 yards. He did nothing. He, he was not able to do anything. The Patriots operated with three defensive linemen. Uh, Ricky Jean-Francois gets my game ball out of that trio with Malcolm Brown and Lawrence Guy because he's just been been a fantastic free agent midseason signing for you know a 31-year-old being on his fifth team or something like that. So he, he's really found his role with the Patriots, and they, they did what they needed to do. They prevented Mariota, other than that second drive of the game, they prevented Mariota from escaping the pocket. They prevented Derrick Henry from getting anything on the ground, and they forced Marcus Mariota to throw the ball. But also, more importantly, the pass rush got to Mariota, and they sacked him before he could throw it away or find someone. That's something that I don't know if we've seen yet this year, is that the Patriots racked up eight sacks. And uh, Gino Grissom had two of them. Uh, again, if, if I don't know what's more surprising is the fact that Blake Bortles is in the AFC Championship game or that Gino Grissom has had two playoff sacks in one game. I, I just don't know what is more surprising. But the Patriots did exactly what they needed to do. I mean, this was probably the quietest game of Brady's career where he threw more than 50 times for 337 yards and three touchdowns. That was just such a quiet and simple evening for him. He spread the ball out well. Amendola had 112 yards. Gronkowski had 81 and a touchdown. Deion Lewis added 79. It was just a really good dress rehearsal for what I think is going to take place next week against the Jaguars, and those same players are going to need to step up. Yeah, it's true. I mean, again, we talked about it in our pregame show on our podcast last week. This is a Dick LeBeau defense, and what a Dick LeBeau's defenses do well is they stop the run. They're very good against the run. They're stout on the interior, but they're kind of this weird kind of zone man under thing that LeBeau is just too old to alter, and Brady has this formula down. So I think McDaniel said, you know what? I'm not going to try and run. What's the point? Brady has his team on lockdown. He really knows what he's doing, and I'm just going to let him throw the ball 50 times. And it's amazing that a 40-year-old quarterback can still throw the ball, as you just said, 50-plus 50, 50 throws for a 40-year-old quarterback for 337, three TDs, including this, that ridiculous third and 10 kind of scramble, throw across the body in the air to Danny Amendola, and we're all kind of just like ho-hum, no big deal, wait for next week. Right. Like, wake me up next week. I mean, that is the level of excellence this team has sustained over the past 17 plus years. And the way they looked on Saturday night, I think if they played exactly the same way they played, I don't think they looked great. I don't think it was like a blow you out of your out of your shock performance. But I think they played well enough on Saturday night to beat the Jaguars. And I don't think they'll play, quote unquote, as poorly as they played as well. So I think I think I'm, I'm as confident as I could be at this point in the season. <laughs> well, I, my favorite, I don't know if you were able to catch it. This was the post-game huddle celebration and the locker room video from the Patriots where Bill Belichick opened up his post-game speech to the team by being like, it wasn't great. But it was good enough. It was like, dude, you, you just you just won a divisional round playoff game, thirty five to fourteen. You had your backup quarterback in the game. Y'all weren't really. You had the game won with ten minutes left, <laughs> and it didn't really matter. The Titans' last drive was just garbage time. 
Yeah. It was good enough. It was it was pretty okay. Like I thought that they did an outstanding job. I thought that this was one of the most dominating performances of the Patriots this entire season or by the Patriots this entire season. They did it without Brandon Cooks or Chris Hogan being super involved. I think part of that was schematic. The Titans were making sure that the Patriots didn't have those home run opportunities. They made sure their safeties were in position. But that just opened up lanes for Danny Amendola and Gronkowski and Lewis up the middle of the field, get the yards after the catch. And I don't know how the Patriots could have executed that game any more perfectly. I mean, honestly, offense, defense, and special teams, sure, maybe Goskowski could have hit that 53-yarder right before the half. But, I mean, you're just picking nits at that point. I thought that the Patriots were fantastic. Let me ask you this, Rich. I mean, I agree with you, but I mean, how much of Saturday's performance with the Patriots playing really well and the Titans just being outclassed? I mean, I don't want to knock the Titans because they did enough to get to the playoffs. They beat the Chiefs on the road in a very tough game, but I don't think anybody can rationally say the Tennessee Titans are a better team than the Patriots. I feel like this is exactly how it should have gone. The Patriots are a 35-14, to 14, probably kind of 35-7 to 7 win team over the Tennessee Titans. So how much of this kind of quality play was just them – being good versus them just kind of just being better than the team they played? Uh, it could be a little bit of both. I mean, I I think something by football outsiders, they might have done some research a while ago about how good teams play bad teams. And teams that just blow mediocre or bad teams out of the water are have a much stronger correlation with winning Super Bowls than teams that eke out a lot of close games. You know, so the Patriots did exactly what they were supposed to do, sure, but that means that they're a great team. And so it's a little column A, little column B. The Titans were just happy to be there. That's that's very true. But Brady looked healthy. <laughs> he looked as good as he has all season. He was just very, very much in command of that offense. I don't want to say it was another bye week because I think that's – I mean, the Patriots had to go out there and execute at a high level, which they did. But I thought that this was very good preparation for what they'll probably have to face for the rest of the year. In that vein, you talk about how the Patriots had gave pretty much the exact same game plan that they're going to use against the Jaguars, against the Titans. It's very rare to see the Patriots kind of operate the same way two weeks in a row. They're very much a game plan slash matchup specific offense and defense. They change things on the fly. They're always audibling. They're always kind of throwing new wrinkles in. So do you think they should literally do exactly what they did against Tennessee? And if so, has Jacksonville now have any kind of a blueprint for how the Pats are going to play them and they can get used to their advantage? Well, I think that the blueprint's already been out there, right? I don't think that there will be any surprise with how the Patriots play the, the Todd Wash defense of the Jaguars because Todd Wash, former defensive coordinator under Gus Bradley, who is the former defensive coordinator under Pete Carroll, and they run a lot of similar concepts. And the Patriots run a lot of similar offenses against those teams, which involve running backs out of the backfield, tight ends up the seam, and slot receivers doing their little in-and-out routes against linebackers. And we'll, we'll definitely see a lot of that against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so Jacksonville should know what's coming. The Patriots will play their defense a little bit differently than they do with the Dick LeBeau defense, where the, the Patriots took apart the Dick LeBeau defense because – you know, the Tennessee didn't really blitz, but the general idea is that if someone blitzes, that means that there's an open spot, and then the Patriots receiver sits in that spot, gets yards after the catch, and the first down. 
the the Jaguars defense is a little different where they're not going to have that sort of blitz. They're able to create pressure with four. They have an incredible defensive front, and so they don't need to do that. They have very capable linebackers at covering. Telvin Smith is, in my mind, an all-pro caliber player. He's fantastic. Miles Jack is very good as well. And so it, it's less about finding the opening via where the player is blitzing and so much just scheming what is the weakness in this cover three type of, of defense and they try to defend the vertical that means that the horizontal should be available if your players can out athleticize the other player and I do think that the Patriots are capable of doing that and so sure the Jaguars know that Deion Lewis and Rob Gronkowski are really good players but if, if they needed to watch them against the Titans to learn that then they probably shouldn't be in the final four anyways. Rich, you said the word out-athleticized. I don't think it's actually a word, but I like it anyway, so I will allow it to continue. Um, one area where I think the Jaguars can definitely out-athleticize the Patriots is on the interior of the defensive line. Uh, Calais Campbell is like 6'9", 315. Marcel Darius has had a career revival because he came to Jacksonville. Malik Jackson was with the Broncos team that destroyed the Patriots in 2015. Again, like I said, interior pressure, hitting Brady early, don't let us up in the pocket. That is how you beat him. It always has been how you beat him. How do you think Dante Scarnecchia is going to prepare the Patriots offensive line, particularly David Andrews and the guards, Joe Tooney and Shaq Mason, for a very, very solid defensive front? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that the Patriots are going to run the ball up the middle too much. Yeah, I think that they're going to spread it out wide. I would not be surprised. You know, how I, I've, I mean, I've been talking this whole time about the Patriots copying their game plans from how they face other teams. It reminds me a bit of how the Patriots played the New York Jets a few years ago when the Jets had their incredible depth at defensive line with Damon Harrison, Muhammad Wilkerson, Sheldon Richardson, and Leonard Williams, I think. I don't know if all of them were together, but the, the Patriots played them a similar style a couple years in a row where James White was the lead back. The Patriots said, you know what, I'm not even going to bother running into the teeth of your defense. Instead, I'm going to spread you wide, and I'm going to throw swing passes to James White in the flat. We saw a lot of misdirection screens by the Patriots against the Titans. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw them do that again in order to buy them some time uh, with Brady holding the football and kind of take the teeth off of that Jaguars defensive front. But, um, yeah, no, it's true. This is the most difficult defense the Patriots are going to play all season. And in my mind, this game will be the answer to the question of, could the Patriots have won that 2015 AFC championship game against the Denver Broncos if it were to take place at Gillette Stadium? I think that's what this game will answer. The Jaguars' defense, in my mind, is just as formidable as that 2015 Broncos team, and their offense is just as questionable. And if the, if the Patriots were in position to potentially win that, but this could just be like a 2020 slugfest at the end of the game. I'd be okay with the 2020 slugfest. I think that the Patriots can get up by – I think the Jaguars, like the Titans, are not built to come back from huge deficits. I think that the Patriots can get up like 14 to nothing or 21 to 10, something along those lines, and they have to more or less abandon the run. Blake Bortles, as, as well as he's played and has – masterfully he has answered his critics thus far this postseason he isn't the kind of quarterback that can take the team on his back and, and carry them with a 30 40 completion day it's going to be run first and the defense as well but again my big concern and i think you you wrote about it unfortunately for everybody who had to read it rich is that you talked about how tom coughlin 
has this really kind of solid defensive line and a very strong defense uh, along with a wildly inconsistent quarterback that can flash at times and has somehow shown up in the postseason. And twice before, in much bigger games than we're about to watch on Sunday, that Tom Coughlin-led team has done things to the Patriots that makes us all want to forget very, very, very much. And it'd be remiss to not be at least a little bit concerned that the defense coming in here is more or less custom-tailored to take out Tom Brady. It's true. I mean, I, I'd be remiss not to say that the Jaguars have a very, very legitimate chance at taking down the Patriots. And they have the recipe on defense to do it, where, as you said, I mean, they have the most ridiculous defense. They have two all-pros at cornerback in A.J. Bouye and Jalen Ramsey. They have two incredibly athletic linebackers in Tevin Smith and Miles Jack. No other teams can offer that type of combination on their back end. And then on the front, I mean, they have four players, five players with eight sacks on the year. So everyone can create a lot of pressure. This is a Tom Coughlin special. Tom Coughlin is probably the only coach in my mind that will stare down Tom uh, Bill Belichick on the other sideline and not blink. And so, yeah, th- this this could be a recipe for disaster if the Jaguars are able to to force a few turnovers. And that's what the Patriots preach is that they will not turn the ball over, or hopefully they will not turn the ball over. And so, therefore, they should be able to do enough to stay ahead. But Yeah, I mean, this is a Jaguars defense that the Patriots should not be taking lightly. They should not be treating them like any old defense that they just faced against the Tennessee Titans. This is the best defense in the NFL for the 2017 season. You know, points allowed, yards allowed, third down passing, yards per rushing attempt. They're they're at the top of the list on pretty much every single category. And so, sure, they have a lot of deficiencies on offense, but if... If there is a team in this postseason capable of controlling the clock on offense, if Leonard Fournette is able to run the ball well enough, they have Blake Bortles, who is willing. I'm not going to know if he's capable or not, but he's willing to make a few of those ridiculous moonshots down the field that Eli Manning somehow managed to pull off every now and then. And then you're complimented by the best pass-rushing four-man front, which you need in order to break break Tom Brady on offense, make him see ghosts. So, yeah, this is everything that you typically see with a Tom Coughlin team, right down to the, the mediocre quarterback. So I, this is definitely <laughs> not, not a given, but it's, it's definitely concerning. It is. And the good thing is the Patriots are already not looking past the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not sure if you saw Matt Slater's pressure today. He basically said, and I'm going to paraphrase this, he's like about Jalen Ramsey. He's going to base it. And, and one day God said, let there be a quarter, let there be a cornerback. And it was this guy. He's elite. He's legit. They are not overlooking the Jaguars the way Pittsburgh did, because I think they know that the Jaguars are here and they're playing mad. They're playing angry and they're playing with house money. And those are all really good recipes for for a big upset at the one of the toughest places to play in the AFC. However, that said, again, it is the Patriots. They are old hat at this. This is Tom Brady's 12th. AFC championship game, which is second only to the entire history of the Pittsburgh Steelers in terms of appearances, which is ridiculous. It's their seventh straight AFC championship appearance. There are currently seven-year-old children out there that don't know a world in which this game isn't happening every single year. And because of that, because of that experience, because of that ability, the quarterback, the head coach, I think they'll be as prepared as they can be for this coming game at 3.05 p.m. on Sunday. Yeah, and, and we'll break down all this uh, on patspulpit.com. We'll have our pregame show on Sunday ahead of the game and I mean we'll, we'll just break down this this 
matchup from all angles. I mean, I, I think that this is going to be a more entertaining game between the Patriots and Jaguars than people are giving it credit for. New England opened up as like a nine and a half point favorite, which is just too much in my mind. I, I mean, I, I do think that the Patriots are going to win, but that kind of signifies a blowout. And I, I don't see that playing out with this Jaguars defense, but we'll, we'll talk with our Jaguars writers. We'll, we'll have a lot of good stuff on patspulpit.com. Alec, do you have any final thoughts on the, the divisional round, or do you want to move on to talking about the Patriots coaching staff and how they're all starting to find their positions to definitely not be back in 2018? Yeah, I mean, that's an important conversation to have, I think, because, you know, it's it's funny. There are some eerie, eerie parallels between the 01 to 04 Patriots and the 2014 to 2017 Patriots in that, you know, they kind of won their one, then they won their second one, and then Romeo Cornell and Charlotte Weiss took off, and McDaniels and Matt Patricia are both gone. It looks like Patricia will be the head coach of the Detroit Lions unless something drastic happens, and all signs point to Josh McDaniels being the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. So regardless of how these next couple games or one or two games shake out, Bill Belichick will be without his most trusted companions on the sideline there. And you have to wonder, is that kind of shakeup, the interview process, the deciding, the moving on, is that process a distraction for these guys? They always say the right thing, saying my focus is on the here and now. But I'm asking him, do you think this is going to be a kind of thing where you look at it and be like, well, these guys have one foot out the door. They're not going to devote themselves as fully as they would if they were coming back next year. No, I don't think so. I think that both Patricia and McDaniels know what it takes to win the Super Bowl. They know that they are the most desired candidates in the, the coaching circles. And so, therefore, they have no reason not to finish out the season on a high note. You know, this is their building their legacy. They want to leave the Patriots on the, the highest point possible so people they can go to their next team and be like, see, this is what we were able to accomplish. Matt Patricia wants to be able to go to the Lions and say, this is what Jim Caldwell did for your, you guys as a team. But this is what you need to do in order to win a Super Bowl. And by the way, here are my three rings that I've won over the past four years just to prove it. And McDaniels will be able to do the same thing with the Indianapolis Colts and Andrew Luck. So I don't think that there's a reason for them to be distracted. They, I mean, they're moving into pretty good situations in all honesty. Josh McDaniels has a good relationship with Chris Ballard, which I think is hilarious. The Patriots have, <laughs> have, have worked out a way to befriend the Indianapolis Colts, and I just love to imagine Jacoby Brissett being the peace offering. And uh, on the Detroit Lions side, I mean, you got Matthew Stafford. You have an offensive coaching staff already in place. There's not much that Patricia will do. They're not cleaning house. So there's a general manager in place. Both teams already have their franchise quarterbacks. What what are they really going to be doing over the next two weeks that would really take away from, from what they'll contribute to New England? I'm not too worried about that at all. That's good. And I think that's important to keep in mind that it's a not the best track record for coordinators who leave New England to their head coaching jobs. I'm sure Patricia McDaniels both aware of that. They want to leave on the best of terms in New England in case they need to come back in a couple of years and they get fired. And B, I think they want to make sure that they, they show that their their pedigree is, is second to none when they talk about this. And I'm not too worried about it either. But it is a, a conversation to have because, you know, they've had those two guys on the sidelines for a very long time. Um, but best of luck to both of them. I'm really glad they're going to be around, and, and I'm glad they're going to get pretty good coaching positions. It's just kind of ironic that McDaniels is going to the Colts because – you never find Colts fans, or never without too many bad words of the Patriots. But as soon as one of them comes to their 
comes to Indy, they all of a sudden love the guy. Uh, so <laughs> a little, little, little ironic. Um, speaking of ironic, I'm not a well, yes, I, I'm a totally big conspiracy theorist guy. I'm, I'm all about it. I'm a tinfoil hat wearing maniac. I'm going to ask you one question as we kind of wrap these things up, Rich. The final four quarterbacks in the NFL playoffs right now are Blake Bortles, Nick Foles, Case Keenum, and Tom Brady. That's an insane final four for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but there's a legitimate chance that the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 52, is played between Nick Foles and Blake Bortles. That is on the table, a Foles v. Bortles Super Bowl. I think that is a logistical nightmare for the NFL from a ratings perspective. Super Bowl is still going to garner huge ratings. People are still going to be interested. But that is not a storyline that anybody really cares about. Do you see the NFL pulling any strings, Roger Goodell making some phone calls and making sure Foles versus Bortles doesn't happen, or am I losing my mind? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. I don't want to say that they're going to make any initiative to it, but there there are four possible outcomes for this game, right? And so you have Tom Brady versus the Eagles, which is a Super Bowl rematch, sure, but it's against Nick Foles. Come on, no one would be super excited about that. Then you got the Tom Brady versus the Vikings, which is what I think everyone would be looking for. That's the ratings bonanza. The Vikings are at home. The The Patriots are the best team in the AFC. The Vikings are theoretically the best team in the NFC right now because Carson Wentz is out for the Eagles. That would be the absolute ideal. And then other, the alternative is you got Blake Bortles, sure, but you got an amazing defense of Jacksonville. They haven't won a Super Bowl. This could be just like the 2015 Broncos against the 2015 Panthers that everyone just thought was just a boring, not great Super Bowl to watch. It wasn't entertaining. I think that would be the, the Jaguars-Eagles matchup that no one would want. But if the Vikings make it, I think they'll be happy no matter what happens with, with the AFC because that would just be cool. That, that would just be so cool to see the Vikings hosting their own Super Bowl. And, yeah, I mean, I, the NFL won't tilt the scale in any one favor intentionally, but New England is the home team. I wouldn't be surprised if they had a call or two go their way. I think the Vikings are just too much of a, a team to beat the Eagles. So, yeah, I, ultimately I, I'm hoping for a good game between the, the Patriots and the Vikings, but maybe the legal to put their thumb on the scale a little <laughs> bit to make sure that happens. Here's a random question. In the Super Bowl every year, there's always one team that gets designated the home team or the away team. I'm not exactly sure how they that alternates every year. AFC, NFC, one team's home and away. If it is the Vikings, could they technically be the away team in the Super Bowl? Um, I think so. I'm actually not sure. Wow. Uh, I, they, I know that they changed the rules so they would be allowed to use their own lockers, I believe. Um but I'm not actually positive how they determine who's the home team, who's the away team. Uh, but, yeah, that'd be something to, to look into. Well, you know what? I'm looking past the Jacksonville Jaguars right now, which I should not be doing. There's a much bigger game ahead of us. Jags, Patriots coming up this Sunday. AFC Championship number seven. What a great way to ring in our 100th podcast, Rich Hill, with yet another AFC Championship appearance. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And here's to, to many, many more. And hopefully a successful weekend coming up here, Alex. So until then, have a good one. You too, buddy. Later, man.
Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>